0: Hey there, horse enthusiast. I'm always looking for interesting stories and interesting people to bring an educational experience to you. This episode of Taking the Reins, we're sitting down with Dr. Alan Etheridge, who is the owner of Southern Performance Horse Dentistry. Dr. Etheridge deals with day-to-day maintenance of horses all across Mississippi and Tennessee and Florida and different few other states and if you own horses or been around horses you're going to have to deal with at some point probably dental care and even maybe chiropractic work and that is the point of our discussion this week. So with that said, here is another episode of Taking the Rains. From Mississippi State University in Starkville, Mississippi, this is Taking the Reins Podcast. If you love all things horses, get ready for a relatable and educational look into the lives of horses and the people who love them. Now
1: here's our host, Clay Cavender.
0: To what podcasts are you listen
1: to? Uh, just various ones, like uh, PBD, I listened to Glenn Beck some. Then there's a difference, like I, I just canceled my satellite service at, at home years ago. So it's just whatever every now and then I'll watch a Netflix or prime TV, but it's just usually I get on YouTube or whatever and I just find, uh, there's a, a good one. You need to watch Israel, my channel, uh, for Bible stuff. I think you told me that before. Yeah. It's uh, the dude is English is his second language, but he's pretty good.
0: His so, second language. Yeah. So it's
1: fir- Hebrew is the first one. Hebrew's he's Hebrew. he's a native Israeli. Okay. So he said, and I figured out after watching him, I was saying he's a Christian. He tries not to let you know. He's just, and he used to work for the Israeli antiquities. So he's, he knows where everything is. And so, so.
0: and that's why I thought you'd be a great addition to put on the podcast Mm -hmm. is because you are kind of a Jack of all trades. You,
1: I I go Bible scholar,
0: (laughs) (laughs) athlete, you're into nutrition. Then we get into dentistry, the chiropractic. Uh, I was looking at your resume and something we'll we'll talk about, but the, you've got an undergraduate in engineering, mm-hmm. master's in genetics, genetics. through the animal science department. <laughs> so, I mean, like, what what is out there that you don't know?
1: Oh, yeah, a lot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I, I thought it'd be a great a story to tell because, you know, you've done so many clinics for me and we've talked about so many different topics in the past, but equine dentistry is something that... A
1: lot of people neglect, probably. Oh, definitely.
0: And then you were telling me yesterday about, what was the name of the Blue Bonnet podcast? Um,
1: uh, Jimmy Nichols. I think it's called uh, Feed. Oh, God. I
0: can't Man, I can't remember what the name of it is. Uh, I listened to some of it yesterday. and What was really interesting is that she does a really good job of being very
1: basic. Right. Feed time, I think.
0: It's something. It's all about feed. And, and she... Uh, of course, I listened to the dentistry ones just to kind of get some background on what we're going to talk about today, but they were very basic. Oh, yeah. I, w- I don't want to say dumbed them down, but she gives them in such a lay- layman's terms that it's easy to follow. Good information, obviously. That's a good podcast. Yeah. That's a good one for anybody who's wanting to,
1: to get I've into nutrition. Her sp- right. I've heard her speak, and she did a great job. And then I was trying to find it yesterday when we spoke, and. I see Purina has now got their checkerboard, you know, they're trying to uh, copy off D- that. Nutrition is? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, it's a good idea because the basic basics of nutrition are probably, I would say would be the least understood thing in, in all of equine care would be how we feed these things. And I, I've said this for years, the questions I get sometimes from the extension side is, uh, you know, I have people call me and here's a real basic question. How do I get my horse to gain weight? Well, the unfortunately, about the most educated answer that we have as PhDs, DVMs, is feed them more.
1: Well, And it's a wide open area because, you know, is it is it because the teeth are bad? Is there an abscess? Is there a disease process going on? Is, does the horse have a parasite burden? Well, even from the side of
0: um, just getting to gain weight, just getting to gain weight uh, is something that, you can look at the bag of feed, whatever you're feeding or how, whatever you're doing and calculate, it says it needs to be, you know, this percentage of the body weight. And I think I'm in that ballpark. So we got guesstimates everybody's doing. They don't know the weight of their horse. They're feeding by volume, you know, and so they've got all these things that are kind of against them. Right. And then as scientists, we don't have any real good tools other than the body condition score system to say, feed them X amount of more. And then when you factor in the fact that Everybody's feeding a little bit different. Mm -hmm. There's so many variations of things you can feed. Then that question becomes very complex.
1: It it does. Uh, I got uh, invited to go to Purina's. I don't know what they call it, but I I think every so many years, they'll ask a veterinarian to go to their uh, main place up there in st louis and uh they do a lot of research and stuff and all and they were trying to show their their girth tapes as a guide to you know figure out the weight and like you said figure the weight and all but so many people want to know how many scoops you give them right and of course the weight matters of the feed and all that
0: you know years ago when i was doing a phd there is a mathematical equation to figure out what your horse approximately weighs and that is you measure the length you measure the heart girth divided by uh, I guess it's hartger square, but you divide by three thirty for aged horses, there was this there's this formulas out there. Three divide by three thirty for aged horses, two seventy for yearlings and younger. And I, I knew that when I was doing my PhD, but I thought that is that's baloney. No one's going to. it can't well, it can't work. Like how in the world could you measure this horse and then come up with a weight. So anyway, I had 24 mares, I believe, on project for my PhD. And so I I was having every two weeks bring them up, body condition score them, and weigh them on a scale as a component of what we were researching. And so I thought, well, I got them all up. I put them on a scale. I'm going to tape them too. And I was shocked at how accurate that equation is. Oh, wow. It's extremely accurate. I would Hmm. say on a 1,000 pound horse, most of the time not every time but most of the time i bet you it's within, within 20 to 30 pounds wow which it's pretty good because your choices if you want if you really want to know what you're feeding and know what your the, the, you have to know what your horse weighs then you can either buy 800 to a thousand dollar scale and stand them on it right or you can take a dollar soft tape tape them and get a pretty darn good accurate
1: be handing those out to horse owners
0: yeah it's and so it's a really good tool but that's kind of the basis of learning to me in teaching what we teach is you've got to understand body condition score system and you got to understand what your horse weighs those are the two principles i think of when i think about feeding horses correctly and there's so many more things but right. if you don't have those two things you're kind of throwing darts in you're the dark guessing.
1: And I think some people, you know, some of the people that sell some of the better feeds and stuff and they keep trying to convince people if you take this all species or, or all uh, livestock grain that you're feeding or feed and, and you'll go to an equine feed, you'll feed less of it. And I think some people just feel like, well, if I give them this big volume of stuff, I've, I've done something, you know, it, it may not be.
0: May not be. Flip side of that whole thing is that as horse owners, we probably feed too heavy. Right versus too thin i don't i think most people can recognize a thin horse and don't want to feed their. because right or wrong a lot of people look at horses as pets and so they want to feed their pets well and they so they feed this thing and i know people that are feeding 22 dollar, 23 dollar a bag feed and no and it's just a horse it's yeah it's just a horse it's not an athlete athlete it's not a performance horse it's just a horse uh this is hilarious one time at a and m i got a phone call and this lady she was dead serious she asked me where she could find organic oats for a horse <laughs> and it took me aback i almost thought i was you, don't you know, know being saying? punked or something yeah you know? I'm like oh man i i have no earthly idea but she didn't let it go like, you know i gave her the and i was i was legitimately looking into it but i thought give me a minute let me look into it i'll get back with you and, I thought it might blow over a little bit, and I looked around a little, and I couldn't find anything that organic oats for horses. I, kn- I knew I wouldn't find anything unless there's something new on the market. This has been 15 years ago, but you know, she wound up calling back so many times. Finally, it just dawned on me. It's like, hey, you know, you can go to HEB, which in Texas, HEB is a huge mm-hmm. uh, food market, and they have those you know whole food sections where you can ha- you can go over there and get you, a b- you pull the lever on a bin of almonds, and you can get a measure out your almonds and you can get almonds or nuts or, or, whatever, fruit you want. or whatever, but they got oats <laughs> <laughs> and they got organic oats, so I was like, you know, you can get them at HEB and she was happy with that answer. So well,
1: I, I don't know if she ever, she followed through with it, but well, I think there's been a lot in the human nutrition about, uh, avoiding processed foods and that may be where they're coming from. Yeah. So. Yeah.
0: But again, I, it's a horse.
1: That's right. It's a horse. And I think the other thing people, some people uh, neglect is all hay is hay. And, you know, I uh, somebody near me, they'll get their weeds, literally their weeds, baled. And that's what they feed their horses with. And then they don't look so good right. <laughs> in the winter.
0: Yeah. And I thought when I moved to Mississippi that that would be it. Everybody told me as soon as I moved here, they said, you'll have trouble finding hay here. And I thought, what? I looked around, and the you know grass is up to your waist, and it's green year round. Right. Nobody even like living in the t- in town. There there are no sprinkler systems. You don't need them. Uh, in Texas, by May, the grass is burning off and is brown till the next March. Right. Uh, so but here it's different, and I thought there'd be no trouble. But the it's it's weird. I think that the mo- most of the problem with hay here is trying to get it cut at the right time so it doesn't get rained on get it baled to measure how wet the pasture is to get in there to get your equipment in there to get it baled and by the time you do that it's mature
1: and uh you know too stemmy and it's. And it it can get rained on once it's cut and right fertilizing and and some of the uh hay producers that i deal with they'll get their look at everything perfect for the bermuda grass hay and army worms just decimated yeah and that's so they weren't a- they
0: weren't kidding it is hard to get right. out of here for some reason but for for a number of reasons but you know you have such a unique background I've always thought that since the day I met you I, in the first time when I moved here somebody you know they always as you meet people they were they would say things like if you met so-and- right. so yet right you were one of the names that came up ah <laughs> you were one of the names that came up and then oddly enough one day I think it was uh in a CrossFit workout I was working out at the crossfit gym and i think you were the only other guy in there in, in the yeah. morning and it's just odd how we met but you have a unique background with all the things we discussed engineering all these different things how did you get into this vet school route and how did that come about
1: well I, i've always been interested in in uh livestock and, and and things like that and and growing things and stuff like that and, and i guess i was Talk, you'd starve to death if you went into that, and and I did like mathematics and science and stuff. And my father was an engineer, so I went off that way. But I always was trying to look for some sort of angle to get into this uh, type of work. And I uh, got to working out. I actually, was working with computers uh, out of college, and realized life's too short to do what you know you don't want to do, or, or pursue what you do want to do. So. Uh, I worked on a graduate degree in in animal science and genetics. Dr. Mike Boyd was my major professor. Of course I had to take a lot of background courses in animal science to to get ready for that and finish that and just decided I really wanted to be a veterinarian and I actually went into vet school thinking I would work with cattle but uh, I got turned on by a veterinary friend that was specialized in dentistry and so that's how I got off on the dental route. In vet school I did not realize it was such a all-encompassing, a, a big field. It's like I think a lot of people think like with uh, with the equine foot, you know, oh, you just trim it and tack some shoes on there and you go. But there's a huge sign There's a lot of stuff going on in that in that hoof capsule, and uh, there's people, of course, podiatrists that uh, focus on that. Well, it's the same way with dentistry. It's the reason we have human dentists that that's all they do is dentistry. There is a, a lot going on in, with that. It's and it's also a very rewarding thing. You know, if you have a horse that uh, it can't turn right or has trouble chewing its food or, or those type of things, and you go in there and you fix that, the owner, and, and you can see a improvement right away.
0: Well, I think a lot of people that go into vet school, professional school of many capacities, lawyers or PhDs or whatever, and they think of a stereotypical route of going through a DVM is getting your own business and then having your own practice but from what i see anyway you put a little bit of a twist on that you've got your own practice but it's a mobile one and, and then you specialized i think what you did was very smart because you saw i feel both chiropractic care and dentistry both that a lot of people aren't tapping and so you've become one of the minorities in the field which is a great thing because horse owners got they need but if there's not very many people to do it you have positioned yourself well in the market and i think that was pretty smart
1: Right. I, I think so. And it, uh, we have a lot of horses in Mississippi, but unfortunately, a lot of them never see a veterinarian. So you have to make a living at what you do. And uh, by being able to travel around and, and focus in an area that uh, a lot of veterinarians don't want to fool with. I mean, doing dentistry is dirty. It's, it's a, a physical job. It can be a little dangerous if you don't watch what you're doing with your hands in sure. the mouth. So I, I do, I get to travel a good bit. I go to various uh, equine clinics in uh, several states. and So you work through other veterinary offices as
0: well. So right. you kind of found some partnerships, so to speak, with it, general care vets. and
1: Right, and like, for example, Tennessee equine, Coosa Valley equine out of Birmingham, and, and various other ones. They do a lot of lameness and a lot of things, but not so much dentistry. And uh, they'll need an extraction or, or something of that nature. And I can just show up and, and do that
0: yeah and you mentioned something else too that we don't uh, i wasn't planning on talking about this but you made a really good point when you've talked about the hoof care aspect i know of one there's probably a lot more but i know of one veterinarian that does hoof care work uh that's a tradesman profession right and and they're really good at there's some guys out there that are wizards with the tools of of horseshoeing where do you think the line should be drawn between what veterinarians should take care of and what tradesmen should take care of? Because if, if you left it up to simply vets taking care of hoof care, there'd be a lot of horses that needed hoof care. That's
1: right. That's a great question because whether it's uh, podiatry or hoof care or dentistry, there's the art and there's the science. Mm-hmm. Uh, early in my career, I got to spend three or four days with Dr. Rick Redden. He's, I believe he's passed away. He's was one of the pioneers in uh, veterinary podiatry recognized you could take a foundered horse with the the coffin bone that's inside that hoof capsule and you could uh, over time shake the hoof and recover that. He, he realized as a kid a foundered horse uh, would go or a lemonade horse would go into the, a creek and be there in the sand and, and position himself to where he felt uh, comfortable. So uh, he, he uh, Redden, Dr. Redden was a legend. He was a farrier first and then went to vet school and he would get flown across the world you know work on multiple million dollar horses anyway i asked him i said well where is the where is the line between the farrier of uh, the the non veterinary farrier and the veterinarian come in and he looked at me and he said when you hit blood yeah. <laughs> And that's that's kind of a, there's more to it than that. That's kind but, of late then, but but yeah. <laughs> in other words, you know, when you start get, getting into more surgery, and I would say the same thing with dentistry. You know, there depending on your state and your laws and stuff. A technician can learn these skills of dentistry, but it needs to be. I, I personally believe you start doing surgeries, extractions, and things like that. Uh, well, that's what you go to veterinary school for. Of course, the difference in the two is with dentistry, you have sedation and. Usually, with uh, hopefully with hoof care, you don't have to have sedation, unless it's my meal. Then I have to sedate my meal for the farrier
0: <laughs> but, uh, Some of them do. Yeah.
1: Some of them need it. But you know, and then our technologies. I mean, the other thing that has occurred in hoof care, dentistry, whatever, is the uh, explosion in the diagnostic stuff. I mean, we just do MRIs now all the time. You know, and with our our X ray, our digital X ray. I mean, we can do extremely high quality films in the field and you had to go to a a, you know referral place years ago to to get something that wasn't half as good as that so i i I foresee where we'll have mris in most uh, vet clinics before long
0: if a listener's sitting there thinking you know that's something as they listen through this podcast and it dawns on them that dentistry is something they need to put a little bit more of an eye on what are some things they need to avoid because you know there's Without being extremely specific and too particular, there's so many people out there that claim to be equine dentists and, right. and you know, maybe that's not the exact title they give themselves, but it's pretty clear that that's what they're focused on that are not veterinarians. How do you find someone that you can trust that will do a good job? And if you choose poorly, what are some things that you
1: may know. happen? Back in the day before we had any of the uh, motorized tools and such, you had the, the hand floats, the files. And a lot of times they would not sedate the horse, they just went in there, they felt around, you know, made the rafts go, got some sharp points off, and they were done. If you had somebody that really knew what they were doing, they might get the horse sedated or they might put a gag in the mouth and try to actually look for hooks and waves and other type of pathology and try to work on the mouth more in particular. And now we have, uh, I think Xylazine came on the market, one of the first really good sedatives in the 1980s at some point. So uh, since the 1980s, we've actually had decent sedation for animals. And then in the last 20, 30 years, different dental instruments and stuff, motorized, electrical, have come in the market. So now it's made it very popular for some people. One of the dangers of getting someone who's not trained properly, regardless who it is, is if they get too aggressive. I have uh, been behind some people who were not... Veterinarians and I mean they just they made the dental arcade the chewing surface of the teeth smoother than uh, glass and of course the horse couldn't eat and had to be uh, euthanized. So and it can go that deep. It can right? go that deep. Yeah. Now most there are still some there's one person running around the state of Mississippi right now has high school degree for a certain amount he'll shoe your horse for another certain amount he'll castrate your horse and for another certain amount he'll float your horse. Okay, highly illegal and. Some people think, well, if he's illegal, how come he's out there doing that? Well, a lot of the uh, uh, southern states, their constitutions go back to where that is a justice court venue. And so it is uh, the, the, the different boards, whether it's chiropractor, whether it's veterinary, whatever, they do not have investigators. So if you see somebody doing something wrong, it is on you to gather all the evidence and present it to the board. And then when they do, then they go before a justice court and the offender might get a $250 fine.
0: And not many people going to Not many people are going to do that. that. They're not going to do it. Just uh, You've got too much going on.
1: Right. Uh, well, to give you an, an idea, there was a, it, it became it's still popular, but not as popular. Uh, there were people going around taking hair from a horse and sending it to a lab. i say that quotes, air quotes, and getting back diagnoses such as left kidney failure heart failure, you know, or lameness in the right stifle. And I'm not exaggerating. I mean that's the kind of things and I had a discussion with someone, a barrel racer. This is ridiculous. This is impossible. And and it says, Well, well it must be. It's legal. I said, you want the state of Texas to outlaw burning hair? I mean, yeah, there's at some point you have to have some common sense. To me, as a consumer,
0: I value price and I don't I know that not everyone does, but I expect a certain thing for a certain price. And so to me, I measure that you know, if you if it's cheaper, it's probably because it's not as good a quality, not as good as work. That's what that's what I would think. Right. That's not always the case. I know that. But if you can get your horse teeth done and his hoof care done for 75 bucks, you probably should be cautious.
1: That that's that's exactly right. Because a uh, a license the boards exist like so the veterinary board. We're licensed, okay. If, if I go out and I do something that's unethical or uh, let's just say I like I come up with some kind of miracle oil and I'm out there selling it, but if you use this oil, it'll cure all your horse's problems and you catch me doing that, you can report me to the board and the board can discipline me. It can take my license or whatever it feels necessary if I'm doing something wrong. So the board is out there to protect the public and to provide a standard of care. We're required to have depending on which state you're in, 15 to 20 hours worth of continuing education. That comes at a cost. Almost every veterinarian has malpractice insurance and all kinds of other insurance. And plus, if your horse is insured, and you know things just happen that are beyond the... You, you know, I, I uh, had a horse once that was allergic to the sedative and went into anaphylactic shock. Of course, I reversed the drug and treated for shock, and the horse did fine. But had that horse died, that would not be my fault. But if that horse was insured and the people are using me, I'm a licensed veterinarian, then they that claim would pay out. Right. But it had they used someone else who was not licensed, even though it wasn't that person's fault, they could not have been paid for that claim.
0: So there's a lot that can go wrong even with, you, you think about dental care, we think it's pretty simplistic because that's what most of us do. We go into the dentist office and get our teeth cleaned or whatever and it's not that big a deal. But you're saying some things that could have very big implications if not done correctly. Let's just back up just a tick and, in a layman's terminology, give us some ideas of how the horse's mouth works and why. Okay. When we say floating and that kind of thing, but there might be a lot of people in here that don't understand what that even means, but you mentioned hooks and ramps and things and the way the horse chews. And so just give us a quick understanding of how the horse works physiologically and why we need to be cautious and take care of it.
1: A person or a dog has teeth, once your baby teeth, deciduous teeth uh, are, are gone and you have your permanent teeth, that's your mouth. Your teeth are not going to erupt, they're not going to grow, they're there. The horse or cow for that matter, uh, their teeth in the horse on average will just say around three or four years old, the tooth is a certain length and then as the horse grows throughout life, that tooth erupts because the upper tooth and the lower tooth are grinding against one another. That's how they masticate or chew their food. And so there's pulp chambers in those teeth. And as the surface of the tooth grinds down over the years, the pulp chamber has like a little cap, a dentin plug, if you will. And if it just just wears away a few millimeters a year, that plug just moves on down through a dynamic process on down through the uh, tooth. So the other thing to keep in mind is the pressure needs to be balanced on those on those dental arcades. Because you're grinding, uh, what if uh, some food gets in there and irritates the gum, uh, the gingivitis? Or you have periodontal disease, which is a disease of the uh, around the tooth. And so then that side gets to hurting and the horse decides to chew on the other side more than the other, and you get imbalances that way. The other thing to keep in mind is uh, so the maxillary or the top of the mouth, that, uh, the distance in those arcades is wider than the, the lower jaw, the mandible, and so you get these sharp points. So on the top, the points, uh, if you leave them unchecked, will cut into the cheek, and on the bottom, the points, if, if not addressed, will, will poke into the tongue. And so you can see where that would be very uncomfortable, especially if you're trying to ride. And not only that, I have seen cases where uh, you have, there's a major nerve on the horse uh, called the facial nerve, and it's relatively shallow. And I've seen where the uh, sharp points from the, uh, the top of the mouth have cut into the cheek and have irritated that uh, nerve and actually had a paralysis of the lip. And so when you address that, then heal back.
0: A lot of people think of performance horses needing dental care because you're putting a bit in their mouth and you're pulling on their mouth some, but what you're explaining any horse any horse
1: needs it exactly and and the other thing is a horse one thing to keep in mind about a horse is they are in the wild they are a prey animal in other words there's stuff trying to eat them so they're not going to be like we are when we hurt and like oh my tooth it hurts they're going to try to look as normal as possible uh i'll have people say well uh the tooth is the horse is eating it doesn't have a bad tooth it doesn't have an abscess to this said the horse is going to eat when a horse quits eating you've got serious problems you know i mean right so the other thing keep in mind about a horse's mouth is if you'll watch them eat they they eat in a certain circular type motion and if that motion, so you can get these things, we call them dental pathologies, hooks, ramps, you can have a wave. These are things that occur due to imbalances or maybe the way the, the mouth is put together. And they, they keep the jaw, they keep that movement from occurring. So, uh, and, and you know as a nutritionist that the fiber length, that hay length has to be a certain size. And so if a horse cannot chew properly, then that, that, that size of the, uh, the, gr- the grass, the hay, is not right. So then they can be more prone to choke. They can have uh, acidosis, uh, you know, digestion issues. So there's, there's that. And then there's also, uh, if you take say like a barrel horse, or any horse for that matter, and they have to make a sharp turn, that jaw has to slide back and forth. Okay, if it cannot slide back and forth because it's locking up due to hooks, waves, ramps, whatever, then they will throw their head. They'll go around the barrel long. Uh, they'll, you know, that type of thing. If they've got a tooth that hurts or, or something's locked up on the side and they're eating, and you see a horse turning its head to eat, then uh, it's uh, the other side. The side that's up has a problem. Uh, they, they will compensate as much as they can. And then it gets to a point where they can't compensate anymore. Uh, food starts falling out. So the, the main reason you want to do dentistry is so they eat efficiently. And then a side benefit of that is uh, they're going to ride better. They're going to be able to collect. Uh, they're going to be able to turn. Uh, I once went to a, a, a farm in a rural area. And this guy was mad at his horse because it wouldn't turn left. So he had, tie- he had tied it up in such a way to where it had to stand all day with its head turned left. Mm. Okay, there's a reason that horse did not want to turn left. If you, you, you see there's no lameness, you see you don't have any obvious thing on the body that's keeping it from turning left, then you should suspect something dental-wise. Uh, there'll be something in the mouth that is keeping it, when it, when it tries to turn that way, that's locking up that jaw and keeping it from turning.
0: As an extension specialist, I get questions constantly. And usually when someone says something odd like that, like my horse just all of a sudden quit doing this or quit doing that, or he's not gaining weight or he's losing weight or whatever it may be, that is my first question I always ask him. like, When's the last time he had his teeth looked at? And it's it's funny because a lot of people will say, I don't know. I don't know. How long have you had him? Well, I've had him since he was one. That's that was wrong. 10 years ago. Well,
1: I give an example of, uh, and these can be horses that are well taken care of. I was uh, recently at a uh, barn to tell you how far in North Mississippi I was. I looked across the road, and there was Tennessee. So that's where that's where it was, as far north as you can get in Mississippi. And the lady had a 37-year-old quarter horse. Okay, and you could tell she's taken care of. She's really was she just I, I, it's just losing weight. I can't keep weight on it. I looked in there and there were two teeth that were abscessed. You see this a lot, and any horse can have this, but you see a lot in older horses. And people think, well, all the tooth will fall out when it's done, not necessarily. And so it had an incisor, which is the front one of the front teeth, and had two motors that were bad. Pulled those. And uh, it's such a relief to the horse to have that painful thing out. So when this horse, it was the first horse I worked on, I worked on several that day, and the horse she's it was like a she said it's like a, a teenager you know again because it felt so good you know to have that painful out of there and an abscessed tooth will just i like to think of it, it'll just chew up calories it just eats up energy
0: when you come out and work on a horse if they've been and i would say what would you recommend every year
1: okay so up to uh four years old i'd say every six months especially if you're riding them uh, are performing with them and then after that once a year so when you keep your horse routinely up up to
0: date like that um, I know when you've come out and worked on my horses before it's just it's a quick easy deal it's not a big problem and my horses ride good and so the other thing I think about is from that perspective is not just the performance value that you're protecting the health of the animal obviously you're protecting but something we, we didn't even consider here or mention was your billfold you can be pouring the feed to them and good quality feed and their teeth not be right and it's just money money flowing they're not reaping the benefit of the of the feed that they're eating because they're not digesting
1: it they're not digesting it and in severe cases they're dropping more you know than they're eating and and you know once you get a 25 year old horse or 20 year old horse with a wave a severe wave mouth there's not enough reserve crown to fix that a hundred percent but if you're getting your horse looked at every year so not only are, are, and you asked earlier what the word float, that's just an old term that's, that's left over. Like, you know, you, you, people go and they'll, they'll get concrete poured and they'll float. They'll have a float go. It smooths it out. It levels it. That's where the word comes from. But really and truly we should think about it is equilibration and balance. There's some people that come out and a dental or a float is nothing more than taking the sharp points off. You're going
0: to have to come up with a uh, smoother name than Equilibration and Balance.
1: I know. I don't know of it. but that's, <laughs> Float works. Float so you're, works you're and that's why we stick some. with it. Uh, some people will say a dental and that, that irritates some people but I know what they mean. You know, A dental float or whatever. So it is important to get the sharp points and most people that don't have dental training will get the sharp points. But then if you still have hooks, waves, ramps, other pathologies, the job is is not finished. So I have I can tell you without getting too specific, I'll have people say, Well, I just had the teeth done. Well well let me look. And I look in there and it looks like the Rocky Mountains. I mean, yeah. it's 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 pretty bad. It's not that the the, the person that sought for them, they just didn't know any better. They just got the sharp points and and, and thought the job was done.
0: And we should probably say that, you know, if you're questioning whether or not your horse needs dental work, probably not the best thing to stick your hand in there and find out. Oh, right? definitely
1: not. Uh, I think that's what the second most powerful bite of a mammal. I forget what the first one, maybe the hippo's number yeah, one. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, I have seen uh, some people in the industry with missing fingers and but thumbs. E- but even
0: if, you, even if you don't get in between the teeth and you, they've got sharp points and you run your hand up there them things get sharp they're
1: very sharp yeah they're so, very sharp so
0: definitely need to be careful if we're looking at maybe needing to get our horse worked on and i would say for me any anyway that i look at, at just their mannerism the mannerism the way they eat the way they, that's right you know do they look like they're depressed lethargic if i put a bit in their mouth and they start not wanting to go one way or, or more neglectfully go that way then that's a red flag for me
1: I had a, a, a client, uh, they were, what is it, the youth, little Bridges finals mm-hmm. or something. And, you know, they, they, they keep their horses very good and take care of them very well. But who, stayed, who stays around and watches their horse eat? Well, you know, you got a lot of time to kill at those type of events. And she was watching her horse eat and, like I was mentioning earlier, turning to the side. Well, uh, you go in there and if you take just a casual glance, even under sedation, all you'd say everything's fine. But then, you know, when I did my exam, I looked. And I saw one of the pulp chambers was open, okay well, that's that tooth you take it took an x-ray and saw that the the tooth was bad, extracted it, and the horse was fine so uh, after that, so they were probably losing some performance there because I mean if your mouth hurts, what are you thinking about yeah. the whole time
0: and we don't think about that, and I think the the instance where you said about the guy that the horse wouldn't turn left so You know, he's trying to implement some regimen of training technique, I think, was probably his mentality to help the horse learn to go to the left or whatever. But we should consider, for sure, abnormality in performance. Oh, definitely. It's been working great for two weeks and all of a sudden it's not working. It's it's, it's something's going on. There's
1: always a reason. Uh, Some other things are a little bit more out there, but that can occur. Um... Let's just say, that they'll tell me, people will say the horse doesn't want to turn right or it doesn't like the bit, okay, even though a tooth further back in that arcade may be abscessed, the, the pain just radiates through that nerve. Mm-hmm. And so the, the bit gets in there and touches the bars, well even though that area is not damaged, it's very sensitive because of that irritated tooth. Uh, severe periodontal disease can cause that. With regular floating, we can prevent those from uh, from ever happening, a lot of those cases. And then I have owners, they'll say, oh, I didn't know, I didn't know. I said, well, you wouldn't know that your horse had a bad tooth. You know, some sometimes they stink, sometimes they don't, depending on which tooth and what situation. So that's what uh, the, the yearly dental, not only are you getting those sharp points taken care of, but you're getting an exam also.
0: You make a really good point with most horse owners, I think when they there's something quote unquote neglectful that happens, it's not direct neglect. It's like <clears throat> I just didn't see it, didn't know. You know, just this happened. Oh my gosh! So all of a sudden, I'm in this position where my horse is having to have two teeth pulled. I never, I never knew. Well, like you said, you you probably wouldn't, uh, especially with you know I think more maintenance type horses that are out in the pasture and we we don't get them up close every day. And a performance horse, I would expect that the trainer, or the person performing should be pretty darn aware that something's not going right correctly
1: so. but even in the fanciest barns i go to that have huge staffs okay yeah they handle them every day so they see a lot but how many of the people sit and watch them eat right right usually <laughs> you know? that's the
0: last we're out of here we're gonna feed and go uh, that's and right we'll, let's go to different direction for just a minute i'm a big com- opponent of dental care that's why i wanted you to come on here and help educate the people listening but chiropractic work is something that i still think from my perspective you correct me if i'm wrong but from my perspective i still see it as a take it or leave it practice not everyone has bought into chiropractic right. care what's your position on that you make some great points on the dental side of things so many things can happen from neglect on the dental side Give us some perspective on the chiropractic world.
1: Okay. Years ago, I was skeptical about chiropractic. Also, I thought it was just a way to scam money out of barrel racers. To be quite honest, it's kind of like uh, there's two philosophies in the chiropractic world. This uh, one is all you need is chiropractic and acupuncture. You don't need vaccines. You don't need the doctor. You just you just get adjusted and you'll be healthy. You and you. There's cert- people that believe there that. there are people that believe that with advanced degrees. Okay the majority of people whether human chiropractors or animal chiropractors believe it is a tool in the toolbox and I like to think about it uh, well I'll tell you how I got started in it you know I told you you can have a bad tooth on one side of the horse okay and they avoid that side they start eating on the other side that is good well started noticing people would say well the horse is out on the side of the bad tooth so you learn in chiropractor school that or, or or animal copyright school that the teeth and the feet are the way in which the horse interacts in this environment those are probably the two most important things in in their philosophy they also have another philosophy as life is motion so in veterinary school you always learn do this and this to the dog and put it in the cage do this and this to the horse and put it in stall stall rest stall rest and there are definitely situations where you have to do that but uh I think it's a lot better a lot of times to to keep them moving, keep that joint, keep that tendon, keep that muscle moving in a a therapeutic way. The way I like to think of chiropractic is you have your brain, which you can kind of think of as like the transmitting unit, the CPU, the computer, and then you have a transmission system or network system, which is the nerves that run through the spine and, and, you know, throughout the body. Well, if you have, say, a spinal process that is impinging on the nerve, not not luxated because if it's luxated then you're paralyzed but subluxated that's the magic word that we talk about in chiropractic and if you can adjust that joint in a way where that is no longer subluxated in other words the nerve is not impinged on now you're getting a pure signal from the brain to the uh, to the target whereas before you're getting noise or like static in your transmission so you see things like the chronic col- colicking horse that just colics every time you know something's going on. And you're feeding them right, and you're doing everything right. Uh, it could be a lumbar spinal process that is out of adjustment many a time. But what I started noticing is with those bad teeth, the abscess tooth, the atlas would be out. The atlas is the first cervical vertebra. And it would be out, okay? So I got to wondering about this and I, uh, I got to follow someone who was a, a veterinary surgeon he was also a chiropractor and there is no placebo effect in the horse you either fix them or you don't i mean they're you know like a person with my, oh yeah that worked and it may not have well the horse you either do it or it doesn't and it is amazing how that works i have seen chiropractic work on horses I'm just i'll give you an example here uh this spring lady had a brood mare and this horse was mean she was mean and uh, her atlas was visibly she had a swelling on the on the side of that uh, first cervical vertebra I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll adjust this horse, but, you know, this probably going to work. So I did, and, and I get a call in a couple of weeks. I, thought, I can start to see this working. So anyway, she kept up every two to three weeks, uh, adjusted this horse, and about a third time, it was the sweetest, kindest horse you've, you've ever seen. It was in pain. The In chiropractor theory, if the teeth are out, if, you know, due to you know pathology, then it transmits throughout the body. It goes, uh, if you can just think of uh, from the, the top of the head all the way to the tail, if you will. Imagine it as being one continuous ligament. And and that's how they view it. So if that's out, then it's gonna throw the body off in other areas. All right, so if your saddle, we spent in chiropractor school an entire day on saddle fit. That's just enough to know. I call a saddle fit expert. (laughs) There's a lot to that. So if your saddle is hurting the horse, if it's impinging, if you're right-hand dominant and you're leaning a little bit more on the right than left, uh if you rope a steer and you snatch uh on the horn uh your horse is going to be out and it's gonna it's gonna affect performance
0: i'm gonna be the skeptic just okay can you help me with that you you make you hit a point with the ropers okay so where i grew up everybody ropes grandmas mom and dad (laughs) everybody and there's probably legitimately a percentage a great percentage of guys there that are as good a ropers that could make the nfr but just don't have the resources to make you. Mm-hmm. And so they're riding these, they're riding horses, and I wouldn't say they're great horsemen necessarily. They're wizards with a rope, but their the horsemanship probably is a little. They see the horse as a tool. Right. He's a means to get to the steer or the calf, and that's kind of not that they're they're good to them. Right. But when you try to convince them that they need to have chiropractic work done on their horses, and they don't have chiropractic work done on themselves. Right. Uh, it's a hard sell. But if you convince them that performance is gonna be increased, that may change their mind, and tick. So do you think there's a vast difference? Let's say the four-year-old gal in this rope and steers, fast forwards that he's 16 and he's never had chiropractic work. Is there a vast difference in performance compared to as if he had?
1: Well, I, I, I don't know about vast, but when you get to that level, uh, just small amounts. I'll give you a dental example. Uh, You know, you asked me about hooks and ramps. There was, this is years ago, and and I I was at this uh, barrel race, and a man wanted me to look at his horse. He had had run and gotten a certain time. I can't remember what it was. And I looked on there, and it had two big hooks on it. It looked like Dracula. Okay, this horse, you can imagine these spikes coming, about three-quarter inch long. And he says, can you remove those? I said, not, and you run again, because he had to run again later that day. Uh, He says, well, would you try it anyway without sedation? So I did just those hooks. That's, uh, that horse let me do that. Okay, he ran later. His time improved by half a second.
0: Okay, that's that is vast. That's and, vast in, in that the world, competitive, that's competitive true. barrel horse world. That is vast. And
1: it depends on what's out. And you also consider this: whether it's a person, a dog, or a horse. We're not perfectly symmetrical. Some horses are more symmetrical than others. Some have a straight spine. Some have a, a kyphosis. Some lordosis. And uh, one hip's taller than the other, you see that a lot in quadruped pads and stuff so if if it 's just off by a little bit, it could mean the difference between placing or not placing
0: yeah for sure and and that is a that is a concern I brought up the rodeo world. A half a second to time to vent cowboys enough that 's convincing to me
1: well, and the other thing you got to have the, now this is assuming you're doing the basics because if if i've been i 've looked at some ropers' horses. And they're about ready to get a new horse because it won't turn right. And you look in there, and I mean, it is just jagged in the mouth and all. Well, no wonder he can't. He can't physically do. So you talk about saving money. What does it cost to train another horse or to buy a new horse? Right. Keep the one you've got going, assuming you're doing your feet right. If the feet are at the wrong angle and you run this horse in an athletic er- uh, profession for quite a while. No wonder the joints need injecting. You've you've they're they're not loading properly because the foot's not the right angle. Assuming you're doing all that right, then you just have the natural imbalances just by being not put together perfect.
0: Well, in bringing up the top end athlete, like we're talking NFR, just as a point of discussion, I think today compared to fifteen years ago, maybe even ten years ago, I think today. Those athletes are so aware that it it takes so much. You looked at the top 10 at the NFR in each round for the tie-down roping. I bet a half a second would move you from 10th to 2nd. I mean, it's that tight, you know. And so I think today on the top end athletes, we're more aware of whatever it takes to get me one more advantage, I'll do it. But the rest of us, the, the below that, maintenance horses to mildly performing, I wonder sometimes how much focus we put on, or what the consumer puts on chiropractic care. Because I know they don't put a ton of practice or to work on the practice of dentistry, which which I believe they should, but the chiropractic is a little bit more of a, it's oncoming, don't you think? It's, in,
1: it's gotten much more popular. It's become popular in the barrel racing circles. Uh, a lot of the top people will get it done. Just as in dentistry, there's a lot of people that claim to be chiropractors and they're not. A chiropractor, to be legal in, in in all the states, you have to be, and to work on, on horses or dogs for that matter, uh, you have to be a veterinarian or a human chiropractor, a DC, a doctor, a chiropractor. Okay, the doctor chiropractic or the veterinarian will go and, and the chiropractic schools have courses for either veterinarians or DCs, doctor chiropractic, to be trained. These are not just show up one weekend and you're, you're, you're done. Uh, The training I went through was over 300 hours of graduate. Like, I mean, all the spinal thalamic tracts and all that type stuff. The anatomy out the yin-yang. You know, you don't just get on there and just push on the horse somewhere. There's a line of uh, correction. Um, You want to make short lever movements, not long lever movements. You're not jerking on the horse. You know, those type of things. You'll see some veterinarians who have not been through that training can they legally do this? Sure they can. Are they chiropractors? No. You'll see lay people who will say they're a massage service, but really they're a, they're doing chiropractic deal. And I can tell you of two very, uh, in Texas, we were, we were told this in chiropractic school, these two guys that were famous, they came in from Australia and they were going through all the uh, cutting horse barns and stuff and adjusting, and they were using long lever movements. Okay, well they long lever movements will work for a while, until you destroy the joint. And they destroyed some very valuable horses and got run off. You can do damage long run long term doing it. An example of a long lever movement is taking a horse by the hoof, stretching the leg all the way out and jerking up. Now that's different than a stretch. You can take them from the from the hoof and lift up gently to stretch the joint. That's fine. You can that's good as a matter of fact, stretch but when you're adjusting by doing that by jerking on that that is just that is damaging that joint over time the consumers should be cautious then how they exactly. select who's doing these practices to their horses it's much
0: like dentistry then so there are a lot of certifications things to be considering when that's
1: you try to choose someone to do it there's a lot more to it than what seems in mississippi we do have some human chiropractors but by, by no lien is this, this is the entire list but there's a Uh, Dr. Edie's in Forest, Mississippi, there's a uh, human chiropractor in uh, New Albany and they have the animal training. They are legally allowed to adjust your horse. Now they're not allowed to start diagnosing diseases but uh, sometimes a good human chiropractor that does uh, animal, uh, equine chiropractor, will say I I think you got a problem in the hocks. You want your vet to take a look at this. Which brings up another point. Okay. Let's say, like your hawks, the hawks, the horse have arthritis. Well, that's probably what caused the back to go out because you know the back, the back muscles, the paxial muscles are going to stabilize to compensate for the hawks hurting. Okay, can I or anyone else adjust that horse? Sure. Will that help? Yep. And it's going to go right back out of adjustment if that arthritis is not addressed by your veterinarian. Uh, so it needs to be in conjunction. It, it's, it's like you were saying earlier. that's crazy to just just do chiropractic and not involve the the doctor also so it's a multi so you want to get the uh the arthritis or the joint disease addressed and then get him a cop chiropractic Uh, and one other thing to bring it i do i do not do acupuncture but you you want to have your horse uh adjusted first is what they teach and then uh acupuncture that is a world that is vast in and of itself. And uh, apparently what that's doing when they put the little needles in there, which, uh, you know, they talk about these different Chinese points and stuff, you know, whatever that is. But it, apparently it is going to one of the sensory nerves and it's stimulating that nerve. And then it's, uh, uh, apparently it's down regulating the response. And so it, it really does, depending on what they're trying to do, it really does... Uh, help with pain management and muscle soreness and things of that nature. I know
0: there's been a lot of talk about chiropractic work, but there's not much documented research as to exactly how it's working and
1: if it's placebo
0: versus actually physiologically making a difference. I'm not discrediting it either, but it seems to be, I like hard facts. absolutely And so the proof is in the pudding for me from a a horse owner when i see it work the other thing i think about on chiropractor which i would say i'd lean i know that it helps i have no doubt in my mind because when i go to the chiropractor it it works for me but there's i've got a circle of people i'm sure you do too and there's people gonna listen to this podcast and go ain't no way i'm going to chiropractor he hurt my neck he did this there's there's these anecdotal right. instances where it seems like that wasn't good for me. I didn't. It didn't work. So it, it's a tough sale on that front.
1: Yes, but I think seeing is believing. Most horses will react when you relieve, uh, uh, when they respond positive to, to an adjustment. they most of them will lick their lips. Some of them will sigh, and then some of them will just uh, what was this? Penicillus, where the skin just shakes and all when you get completely done. I had this
0: two-year-old in training one time, oh, she was three at the time, and I was talking to a lady, just happened to, she was at the barn, we were kind of crossing paths, she did chiropractic work. We're t- we weren't talking about chiropractic work, we were just talking. And she reached up and touched my horse on the pole, and this mare pinned her ears and kind of, and didn't do nothing nasty, but set back a little bit, and I thought, my reaction was, she doesn't want you grabbing her on top of the head. Right. Well, her comment was, this horse is out in this pole. Whatever, so I was like, "Hey," and I'm skeptical. This one's like, "Hey," well, then you put it back in. She said, "All right, I'll do it." And so she pops his horse's pole. I can't explain how she did it uh, over a podcast, but immediately, this mare licked her lips and put her head about three foot lower. And that made me perk up a little bit because I thought, you know, as much as we pull on a performance horse trying to get their top lines right and get them to lift their backs and drive off their hocks, and so much of performance is dictated on position of the horse. You can't have a horse, anytime a horse's head's up in the air and his back's down, his hawks aren't driving, we're, we're lacking performance and athleticism. So we try to inverse that by getting their backs up. But if his head won't go down because it's sore somewhere, well, I'm, I'm already at a roadblock.
1: A lot of chiropractors, equine chiropractors, consider the pole uh, or the atlas adjustment the most. If they could only do one adjustment, that would be the most important one to do.
0: Well, this horse liked it. Oh
1: yeah, there ain't no doubt. I mean, there's no placebo effect. I mean, they don't know you either help them or you don't. Uh, there are some that will are just tough. They will not indication whatsoever. They're stoic for whatever reason.
0: Right. Well, you've got all these accolades, and I respect you tremendously because you, you are not someone who flies by the seat of their pants. You're, you investigate, you think, you're a deep, a deep thinker. You're probably one of my <laughs> deepest thinking friends there is. Uh, but if you had to attribute one thing to the success of the life path or the
1: career path that you chose, what would that one thing be? Well, I think the personal thing I'd say is the blessing of God. And then if you want to look more uh, of a secular thing, I see... Hmm. I, I guess it's just being, uh, just continue to keep learning. Just uh, just try to figure out why things are happening and, and, and stuff. That I never that never
0: gets old, does it? Like, it's, it's never it, going to quit, right? No,
1: it just gets it's more and more. There's just more, uh, you know, okay, like for example, you can do root canals on horses, and I do those. You can do uh, restorations uh, on the uh, molars or infundibulums there, and you can save the life of a tooth. All right, well, now. You can do root canals on molars, but they have like five to six pulp chambers, depending on which tooth it is you're talking about, and it's kind of difficult to get in there. So, and uh, their anatomy is opposite on the on the pulp chambers as it is a human. So that's quite challenging, and I, I'd love to be able to to do that. I mean, there are people who are doing that. Uh, but by the way, the leaders in equine dentistry are in Germany, uh, the Netherlands, and then. Uh, there's some uh, the EDC clinic in uh, in England uh, is they they are uh, you can some, some of them you can follow online if you're really into it.
0: Well I appreciate all your time with doing this and what I'm going to do is leave a link to your website in, okay. in the description for the podcast but okay. it, if there's any other ways you want people to get a hold of you I'll leave that in the description as well and that way if uh, they got additional questions maybe or want to get you out to look at their horses then they'll know how to get a hold of you for sure food. but it I know it's a, a this is time that you take out your schedules to do but I think getting education to our public is a good thing especially in this area where a lot of the facts aren't just easily displayed or, or known by so many people so I appreciate your time in doing this and always look forward to the time to chat with you we need to do it more yeah.
1: often instead of every now and then that's right that's right so I enjoy it as well
0: thank you for joining us on taking the reins A special thank you goes to the Mississippi State Extension Service and the MSU Animal and Dairy Sciences Department. Please visit us on Facebook and Instagram at Taking the Rains Podcast.